Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Megan Lane, who's a third-year resident at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Megan's originally from Chicago, Illinois. She completed college at Washington University in St. Louis and medical school at the University of Michigan. She's interested in gender-affirming surgery and patient-reported outcomes. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me today. I'd love to start by hearing kind of big picture overview about your program. So the University of Michigan Plastic Surgery Residency is located in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It is a seven-year residency program with six clinical years and one required research year. Each year, we take four residents. We are only an integrated program, so we do not have any independent residents. People that are entering residency in our program will be in a competency-based program. I am not in the competency-based program, but essentially the plan is that there would be annual evaluations where the faculty would evaluate your core competencies and kind of each area of plastic surgery. And there is the opportunity to potentially graduate early. As it stands right now, if you do graduate early, you would stay on as kind of a junior faculty and be able to see your own patients, operate independently, work with residents for the year. That's kind of in mind with the fact that many fellowships don't necessarily allow you to enter in mid-academic year, or they may require you to kind of stay on that extra year just because it's kind of a new and experimental thing. And then kind of in terms of new things happening in our program, so we have two new faculty this year. So Dr. Myers is a new breast microsurgeon, and she is wonderful. And then Dr. Sue is a new kind of implant-based reconstructive surgeon. Um, so both of them specialize in breast reconstruction, and they're great additions to our faculty. And then in terms of new faculty that could potentially join in the future, um, we're looking for a new gender-affirming surgeon. And then there are a few other potential community-based programs that may be available to us in the future. I will say one strength of Michigan is that a lot of our faculty love working here and they stay forever. So there are usually not very many people that leave the University of Michigan. In terms of kind of our curriculum, we spend about six months of general surgery and six months of plastic surgery during our intern year. Another two months of general surgery during our second year. And then another two months of general surgery our third year. After that, it is all plastic surgery. In addition, we do spend some time with OMFS as well as ENT and oculoplastics during our residency program. And what is the resident experience like when you're on some of those off-service rotations? So it totally depends on the off-service rotation. So especially during your general surgery months, uh, during your intern year, that time is really about learning how to take care of post-operative patients, working people up for things to expect in the post-operative period. You do get a good amount of operative experience during your general surgery months. And um, during your plastic surgery months, you get to the operating room and into our clinics every day. So 
you know, we were expected in our residency program as a junior resident to be able to manage the floor as well as being the operating room or in the clinic. And what are some of the different sites you work at? So one really big advantage, I think, of our program is that our residency program is relatively centralized. So the majority of our time is spent at the main university hospital. One of the great things about Michigan is that it is really the premier hospital for an entire state. I would say that we are the premier level one trauma center in the state. If people have really bad problems, really bad cancers that need to be operated on, really complicated surgical histories, we're the place that they go. So within the university complex, we have um, a cardiovascular center, a children's hospital, as well as a main hospital. And then we also spend about six months of our training program at St. Joe's, which is a community-based hospital where we get most of our aesthetic experience, and then another four months at the VA hospital. Can you tell me a bit more about the research year experience, how you decide what you do during that time, what the funding situation is, the whole shebang? I would say that the University of Michigan is definitely seen as one of the larger academic programs. Our faculty have research expertise in every single area. I don't think you're going to find very many programs with as many academic leaders uh, as the University of Michigan. I mean, we have Dr. Buckman and craniofacial, Dr. Chong and hand surgery, Dr. Walji and Dr. Sears, who are really leaders in surgical outcomes and health services research. So the opportunities are really endless. Some people do basic science. So there are a few basic science labs. Dr. Bachman runs one as well as Dr. Siderna. Other people decide to do health services research. So not only in our section of plastic surgery, but also in our division, there's a lot of opportunities for health services research. And the expectation as you start doing research to start thinking about it during your first year. And usually we take our academic year after our third year of residency. So for example, I'm actually doing two years of research and uh, I'm in the National Clinician Scholars Program, which is a national program that is really aimed at creating the next leaders in health services research. It's actually a program where it's both, you know, internal medicine folks, OBGYN, surgeons, and it's a national program that in your first year you get a master's and then your second year you do an independent research project. But other people do, you know, nerve, peripheral nerve research. Other people do, you know, craniofacial, and really the opportunities are endless. In terms of funding, so for me personally, the National Clinician Scholars Program have some funding available. A lot of people in our program also apply for independent grants. So they apply for the Plastic Surgery Foundation Research Fellowship, as well as an F32, as well as we do have a T32 available, both in the Department of Surgery as well as Section of Plastic Surgery. Most people doing a a research year are expected to try to apply for some type of independent funding. So meaning that you are supposed to write a grant and submit it. They will always support your salary, even if you don't get the independent funding. How many people end up doing a two-year experience? So I would say that there's definitely some leeway in our program. So there are some people that will take two years and some people that take no years. And there are some people that take one year. Officially, you are supposed to take a year. 
but there's definitely some variability in the amount of time people take. And what kind of support is available more so once you are done with your projects and you're ready to present? Yeah, so there's a bunch of different resources, both through the PIs and the faculty, as well as the Department of Surgery and the Section of Plastic Surgery. For faculty that run labs, there are independent statisticians that they work with and research coordinators. And for the section of plastic surgery, there's actually a research coordinator that part of her time is supposed to be dedicated for resident projects. And there's also a statistician where all of her time is dedicated for resident projects. So those resources are available to people. And then in terms of like grantsmanship and grant writing, there's actually a office here that really helps you kind of put together all the pieces of your grant when you're writing it. So there's a lot of different resources. And I would say a lot of people that come through Michigan come out very experienced in writing grants and writing papers and doing research, if that's something interesting for you. And there are a lot of people that come out of Michigan deciding to do economics, but there are a lot of people that also decide to do private practice. Do you know what the split is between graduates going directly into private practice, more private practice aimed fellowships, or more academic routes? Yeah, so I think it totally depends on the year. So, for example, in the previous years, there are recent graduates that are faculty now at Seattle Children's Hospital, the University of Texas at Austin, Johns Hopkins University, and the University of Wisconsin. There is also Graduates that went on to join, uh, for example, two of the bigger private practices in Ann Arbor, they have joined those practices. A few people have gone down to Florida, and actually all three of our chief residents this year are planning on going into private practice. Can you tell me a little bit about what call is like throughout the years? So in terms of call... When you are on plastic surgery, we actually have a night float system. So during the week, there's a night float and a day float. So the day float takes consults during the daytime. The night float takes care of all of the floor patients as well as takes any consults. So when you are not night float, you can sign out your pager at 6 p.m. and you get to go home and not worry about anything. We usually take call during the weekends as a junior resident twice a month. And that's usually for a 24-hour period. We take home call. And so um, you're allowed to go home during that time. You know, in terms of a senior resident, you take one weekend of call usually during a month. And then we usually have a holiday system here. So you usually work two holidays when you're a junior resident and one holiday when you're a senior resident. In terms of hand call and face call, we take two-thirds of the hand call at the university. and then. We share face call with OMFS and ENT, so we do kind of like weekly shifts of uh, face call. Calls can be super busy. You know, Michigan, as I said, is kind of the place where people go and they have bad problems. So we definitely see a lot of people that have industrial accidents from manufacturing sites in Detroit, as well as farming accidents from rural Michigan. So you definitely get to see some really interesting things. And so call nights are definitely never boring. And I would say, especially when you're on hand and face call, you're usually up the entire night. I should say, and then in terms of call at the VA and St. Joe's, when you rotate there, you take call for those two sites together. 
but those calls tend to be a little less busy. So you share it between three residents, you usually rotate, but there are a lot of times where you don't necessarily get called in at night. What kind of support do you have more for clinical support, like mid-levels? I think actually one big advantage of Michigan is that we actually really have one or two mid-levels on the inpatient side. So we have a nurse practitioner that helps us with our inpatients for our busier services. But usually, actually, the junior resident and kind of the clinical resident team is in charge of taking care of the patients. I think that's actually a really important part of being a resident and becoming a physician is knowing how to take care of people outside the operating room. So we, in terms of the inpatient side, we have a nurse practitioner. And then in terms of the outpatient side, we have three uh, physician's assistants that help us out in clinic as well. Is there any dedicated elective time in the later years where you can either choose your rotation either at your program or potentially as an away rotation? Yes, we do. So we have one month during our fifth year to do electives. And then on top of that, we also have some time. There's actually some international opportunities and non-COVID times for residents that are not included during the elective time. In terms of electives that people usually take, a lot of people choose to do another month of ENT. Some people decide to go to another institution, especially a place that they want to do fellowship. And then some people do use that month to do an international rotation. In addition to elective time, we do have a few different opportunities for international travel. So there's a cleft experience in Colombia that some people do. There's a hand and burn experience in Ukraine. And then there are a few other experiences, such as going to Chang'ung, and then uh, another experience that uh, Dr. Momo is developing as well. So there are a bunch of different international experiences that are available to our residents. So in non-COVID times, those are trips that happen almost every year. And just depending on residents' schedules, if they can fit them in, they'll take advantage of that? Yes, exactly. So they usually happen every single year. And residents usually from the fourth through the seventh years go. And you mentioned a little bit about, I think, six months of aesthetic kind of dedicated aesthetic time. Could you go into a little bit more of how that's spread out and where you do those? So I would say the majority of our aesthetic experience happens at St. Joe's or St. Joseph Mercy. And it is at a practice that is a private practice. And we start rotating there as a second year. So it's kind of spread out between our second through our fifth years. And so you spend a month there, your second year, two months, each year after that. I should say in addition to that, the private practice has a pretty wide aesthetic experience. So it's really where we get a lot of our experience of rhinoplasty, facelifts, aesthetic skincare, um, and aesthetic laser, as well as kind of our early experiences with injections. As a second year, you can start doing injections observed with our faculty there. In addition to those six months at St. Joe's, we also have a resident aesthetic clinic, which was developed a few years ago and has continued to improve over time. It's a clinical five, so in your six-year residency, you get to see your own um, injectable patients, 
And as a clinical seven, you get to evaluate and do your own aesthetic cases. So that can be anything from body contouring to uh, facelift and rhinoplasty and blepharoplasty. And can you tell me about your experience with gender affirmation surgery? The University of Michigan has a really great gender affirming surgery experience. We do have clinicians that do vaginoplasty, phalloplasty, facial feminization surgery, gender mastectomy, and then not as frequently, but gender-affirming breast augmentation. Uh, So we do have kind of a full array of gender-affirming procedures, and not only in the Department of Plastic Surgery, but even departments like urology and otolaryngology, they're doing some of the more, I would say, rare gender-affirming procedures, things like metoidoplasty is some voice procedures as well. So, you know, we get a really great experience with gender affirming surgery. I would say that our residents are very experienced and feel very comfortable at the very least doing top surgery after we're done. And I know that a lot of our graduates are interested in doing that when they go out into practice. And I would say that in terms of getting involved in research here, This is one of the places where you can do a good amount of gender-affirming surgery research, and there is the expertise as well as the resources to do that. And we also have a gender-affirming fellow now, and that's actually been a great addition this year to the experience. How many fellows do you work with? So we have two hand fellows, a craniofacial fellow, a microsurgery fellow, as well as a gender fellow now. I think that having fellows has actually a great educational addition. Fellows allow you, I think, to do more in the operating room. I really do think that having fellows is a great addition to um, residency because they can teach you a lot of great things. They come from different institutions and can teach you, you know, tricks and tips and everything. And I feel like in my experience, I usually get to do more when I'm operating with a fellow. And is moonlighting possible at any point? Yeah, so in our program, unfortunately, we are not allowed to moonlight. I would say, especially when we are in our clinical years, there frankly is not enough time to moonlight. We are a program that's actually approved for five residents a year. And I would say that we are relatively busy clinically. I mean, We have five teams, I should say, in plastic surgery. So we have five clinical teams. And I would say every single day on those clinical teams, we're operating. So unfortunately, we are not allowed to moonlight. Not during the research year either? No. Are there any other awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Yeah. So we have uh, a union here at the University of Michigan. So we have a lot of perks. So some of those perks include a cell phone stipend. Uh, We get extra pay on holidays as well as our birthday. We have a very generous food stipend, I would say. Like, for example, I have about $1,200 on my card that um, I can use. So I always buy like the med students food because I just have too much money on my card. We have a really good, I would say, a relatively good um, maternity and paternity leave for being a residency program, so three months off for maternity, one month off for paternity. I would say that we have a lot of different perks. Oh, through our union, we also, a lot of our benefits are really easy to set up. I mean, 
even things like life insurance are super easy, disability insurance to set up. I would say that this residency program makes it just extremely easy to do kind of just like the normal, you know, every day to day things of living. Also, parking is, you know, relatively straightforward. All of that stuff is is pretty well taken care of for us. And what would you say is the area of plastic surgery that residents come out with the strongest experience in? One strength of Michigan is that we do get a lot of experience in, I would say, all the major parts of plastic surgery. Beginning as an intern, you're rotating on craniofacial, you're rotating on hand, you get to learn how to work these patients up, how to do these operations, how to take care of them postoperatively. So I would say that our residents come out really comfortable doing general reconstruction, basic hand, basic craniofacial, and basic aesthetics. I think that that can definitely be seen in our recent graduates. You know, you see our faculty members that did hand as a fellows doing deeps as faculty now. So I think that people come out with a really broad experience that allows them to do a bunch of different things. And how would you improve your program? That is difficult. I think that one thing that's actually really exciting in our program um, that's really taken off is this resident aesthetic clinic. It started about three years ago with just doing injectables, but now some of our chiefs this year are booking people for blepharoplasties and rhinoplasties. And I think that's something that is going to continue to improve. And I'm really excited to see how that gets personalized to each chief and if that, you know, kind of changes depending on the chief's interest and, and things. But I think that that's been a big improvement that's going to just continue to improve is kind of this final piece of training and getting people to feel comfortable managing their own patients and get used to, you know, talking with people and being kind of that main person that people see. And so now transitioning a little bit, I'd love to hear about your program leadership. So your chair and your program director. I will say that we are a section of plastic surgery in the Department of Surgery. So we are not a department, and I think that's actually a great strength in our program. We have a new chair of surgery. His name is Dr. Dimmick. He is trained as a minimally invasive surgeon. And he is absolutely wonderful. I think that his big focus is really on faculty development as well as resident development and leadership. So he definitely spends a lot of time making sure that we as residents get experience in leadership training. And I especially really enjoy working with him because he does a lot of health services research. And that's something I'm interested in. In terms of our section leadership, Dr. Adeza Momo is our program director. He is an excellent microsurgeon. He is really academically gifted, and he is just a very approachable person. You know, I feel like I could walk into his office and tell him, you know, anything that's going on. And then Dr. Paul Saderna is our section head, and he is very well known in plastic surgery. He is an incredibly accomplished researcher and, you know, he just wants each one of us to really succeed. I can tell you this year, I'm trying to get into this 
National Clinician Scholars Program, you know, he sat me down and was like, you know what, we're going to get you in. It's going to be great. This is what you need to develop in terms of what you want to do in your career. So, you know, I think that our leadership is wonderful. They're well-known in plastic surgery, and they're really interested in making sure that you as an individual succeed and get the training that you need in residency. And what role would you say residents play in section decision-making, whether that is during residency interviews or, you know, other department changes? So I will say that we do have a good say in a bunch of different things within our residency. So we actually have multiple committees that meet multiple times a year. So there's an education committee that um, changes our didactics every few years. So we actually had a pretty big change in the way that we do didactics a few years ago that was completely resident driven. And then we have an education committee um, that goes, and it's a committee that's comprised of both faculty as well as residents that kind of go through our curriculum, things that we can change, as well as kind of our residency in general. So rotations that we liked, rotations that could be improved, things like that. And then there are other various committees that kind of work with the faculty on different aspects of life. So for example, I am on the wellness committee. So making sure that there are different activities planned throughout the year for kind of like social events and making sure people are checking in and everything like that. And then in terms of residency selection, we do have a say in residency selection in our program. So we do actually very much actively participate in the evaluation of applicants. And can you tell me about a time when you or another resident brought up an issue to the program leadership and how they responded? One really great example of this was during the COVID pandemic. Michigan, I would say, is one of the uh, states that were hit hard relatively early. So there were a lot of changes and a lot of questions very early on in the pandemic. And I will say that our section did an incredible job um, just getting organized, kind of working with residents in what the university and the hospital needed at the time. So it was a stressful time for everyone in our residency and our section. Dr. Siderna twice a week would give updates starting, I would say, in very early March. I mean, he started having these conversations in early March where it was the entire section would get on a conference call twice a week. And we talk about the hospital, we talk about what they're thinking in terms of redeployment. And then we actually had meetings with Dr. Momo and our residency cohort about redeployment, who would go where if we needed to, as well as him addressing our concerns about this and being really open about the fact that there were a lot of unknowns at that time. And so I think that at that time, just in general, was relatively chaotic for everyone at the University of Michigan. But our section definitely were very transparent about what was going on, if we needed to be redeployed to particular areas of the hospital, and did a really great job with a time where no one really knew what, what, what to expect. Now, could you tell me a bit more about the relationships amongst the residents? So I think that Dr. Siderna describes the relationship between the residents and kind of the general culture of the residency perfectly, which is as a family. 
I would say that the fact that we work kind of as a, at a single hospital uh, means that the residency is very close. I would say that the majority of my friends here are my co-residents. Uh, I spend the most amount of time, I would say, outside the hospital with my co-residents. And, you know, we know each other's spouses. We hang out on a Saturday. Like, my co-residents will come over with their spouses and hang out on Saturdays. I know my co-residents' children. So it's definitely a family environment. And now a little bit more about the logistics of how residents live. So do most residents own or rent? So I'd say about 25% of us rent and 75% or so own. Michigan as a state makes it really easy to own a house here. As someone that recently bought a house, I, I will say that it's, it's really nice. I think that Ann Arbor is the perfect size place to do residency. I have a 10 minute drive from the hospital and it's just really easy to live here. And I would say that the choice between an apartment and a house is just totally up to the person. Where do residents live like in relation to the hospital? That is totally variable. So I would say there's an area right next to the hospital that some people choose to live in that is really mostly medical students and physicians. There are other areas in Ann Arbor where there are mostly graduate students that some people choose to live, and there are other areas where there are kind of more families and older people. But I would say that residents live kind of all over Ann Arbor, and I should say that there are some residents, especially people with larger families, that choose to live um, outside of Ann Arbor, just because it's a little bit more affordable and you can get a little bit more bang for your buck kind of housewise. And is it necessary to have a car? It is. We actually operate a lot at outpatient surgery centers that are 15 to 20 minutes away by drive. So there are some in the suburbs of Detroit as well as other areas of Ann Arbor. So sometimes you round at the hospital in the morning and you'll drive out to one of those outpatient surgery centers um, for surgery. Beyond affordability, what else do you like about living in Ann Arbor? So I will say that I've lived here now for about six to seven years. And I think one of my favorite things about Ann Arbor is the nature. I love the fact that nature is kind of peppered in to Ann Arbor. Um, no matter where you live, there's probably a nature preserve or nature area within a five to 10 minute walk of wherever you live. I will say the other thing that I like about Ann Arbor is that we actually have a pretty good food scene. My husband and I like love to go to restaurants. And so there are some really great restaurants and really get great places to get a cocktail here in Ann Arbor, which is pretty unexpected. And then on top of that, I would say another great thing is that Detroit is only 30 minutes away. So it's a great weekend trip or just like great night trip to go into Detroit and try something new there as well. So I think that's most of what I wanted to talk about today. Any final thoughts on either your program or on the process of choosing a program in general? So I guess in terms of choosing a program, I think the biggest thing is to go with your gut. When I was applying to residency, I had a really hard time kind of making my rank list, and I would kind of choose different places to rank number one. But I kept thinking to myself that I would always keep 
tabs on the people that would match at Michigan. I'd probably, I always would be kind of like, oh, what are they up to compared to what I'm up to? So that was kind of my deciding choice to rank Michigan number one. I think that, you know, Michigan is an amazing experience just because of the breadth of opportunity and the leaders in the field. I mean, I spent the day yesterday operating with Dr. Chung and he is a leader in hand surgery. He has literally written all the books, you know, and I don't think there are very many places where you'll get that kind of experience being able to just walk into someone's office that's published the Sentinel papers in, in a particular field and get to work with them one-on-one. Michigan is just an amazing place. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise a, a family and it's the best. So that's why you should go there. Do you have any like single piece of advice for prospective plastic surgery applicants? Kind of like, I guess maybe in terms of assessing that gut feeling or things they maybe should ask about in order to get to the place where they can fundamentally say like, I feel in my gut, this is where I should go. Oh, that is so, it's going to be so hard this year, especially just because it's, it's such a different year. I think the most important thing is to try to take uh, an opportunity to talk with the residents. I think that's the biggest thing. Talk with the residents, see, you know, what they're like, what they like to do, kind of those things, if possible, this year. And I think that the choice is totally just dependent on on the person. So one of my best friends from medical school is also a plastic surgery resident. And we would have very different opinions about different programs. So it's totally unique. I think that talking to people, getting the general quote unquote vibe is important. Um, And I think the most important thing is try to find somewhere you're happy because you're going to succeed at a place that you're happy. If that's Ann Arbor, that's wonderful. If it's New York City, that's also great. But trying to really dig deep and say, hey, what am I looking for in residency? Where is a place that I'm going to be happy? And how can interested students find out more about your program? So we have a Instagram at UMich Plastic Surgery that you can definitely follow. Um, That's probably the easiest way. A lot of us are also on Twitter. So, you know, you can definitely reach out to any one of the residents that's also on Twitter. Well, thanks so much for speaking with me today, Megan. Yeah, of course. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.